0: What a wonderful, wonderful time of worship through music and song today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beloved, we gather on Sunday to say thank you to Christ who took us who were enemies of Him under the wrath of God, under judgment, and has... washed not only our sins away but satisfied the wrath of our Father and brought us to the table and justified us of all things and every Sunday we gather to say thank you that is why this is so important as you take your Bibles this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 if you haven't been with us we are walking through this book it is a letter written to a very dysfunctional church, uh, a church with many problems, with many issues, and so you'll you'll really see that today. Yet the Apostle Paul loves this church, he cares for the church, and, and, and so sometimes those that we love and care about, that when sin is taking place and disobedience has happened that we we do have to get kind of harsh and show some tough love and so today is is that day uh, or or part of that uh, today you'll see that in the text Paul wants to correct and teach them how to be a healthy and faithful church Um, here in chapter 6 he's going to severely reprimand this church and how they are handling their disputes. Now we've looked at this already that there were some disputes going on and he was pretty, pretty kind of calm with them, but now we're going to see where he really kind of comes on pretty strong. But there were some in-house fighting, some disputes, some wrongs, some harm, uh, some hurts were taking place, uh, some injustices maybe were taking place within the church. And so Paul is going to deal with, not that these things were just taking place, but how they were handling them. We understand that hurt, you know, injustice, these things happen in the world. It's a broken world. But the church handles these matters differently. And so this is what Paul is going to show us this morning. And so I want you to see this morning the contempt of court. Because what was going on was, was that this church was taking their brothers to court. They were settling their fights and all the wrongs that were being done and the issues and their tensions. They were settling them in court. And so Paul comes this morning and I want you to see four things in his writing to them. I want you to see the purpose, the problem, Paul's response, and then I want you to see the solution. So look with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Does any one of you... When he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? And so if you have law law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not one among you wise, not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers? Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, you do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God and may God bless the preaching and the reading of his word this morning. Notice first the purpose of this text. It's very important that you get that you understand what's going on. And so in the words of the famous yet not philosophical Taylor Swift, haters are going to hate, 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 hate. That's what's going to happen. And that was the culture, that was the temperature, they were haters, they were mad, they were envious, they were resentful, and, and so there were things in this world, and so man, they were, they were just full of anger and hatred, so they said, man, we're going to take it to the courts and I am going to beat you down. And so that seemed to be the case in Corinth, and it seemed to be the case in the church. You see, Corinth was much like Athens and probably very much like America, that, that we're, there just seems to be a lot of suing going on. There, no matter where you look, there seems to be a lawsuit. So you had a problem with an individual in the business world or an employer. Guess what? You sue. You had a problem within your family. Things didn't go your way. You didn't get the, the, the inheritance that you thought you were going to get. Something happened. What do you do? You sue. You, your rights have been ignored, right? You you have these rights, and so you didn't you didn't get your, your rights were not acknowledged and you were not treated in a certain way. So what do you do? You sue. Sound familiar? The church business didn't go the way. The deacon's meeting didn't go the way that you wanted. Something happened within the church, Sunday school class. So what do you do? You sue them. That was taking place in Corinth. It was a very lawsuit happy city, much to the point that it had actually become a point of a time of entertainment for many that they would go to the courts and they would watch because it was entertaining to watch the people go back and forth. Now, before we dive into this, please understand that Paul is not saying that courts and judges and lawyers or lawsuits are sinful in and of themselves. That's not what this is about. We, we, we must be very careful, beloved. Again, a core value of ours is, is biblical fidelity. We want to be faithful in interpreting the Scriptures but also obeying the Scriptures. We must understand... That, that all of these things are needed in a broken society, in a broken world. Sin runs rampant, and God has given us His law. He is giving us governments. He's given us, these, He's given us lawyers. He's giving these, these professions and things that we may be able to kind of walk through the sinfulness of this world and be able to kind of hold back and that we may have a just society. And not only that, we understand that the law of God is given to man, that it may show us our sinfulness and our depravity, that we may come to know Christ as our Savior. And so as Christians, we must be very careful in interpreting this text to mean something that it's not. He is not condemning the judges. He's not condemning the courts or the lawsuits. Who is he condemning? He's condemning the church. He's condemning the members of the church who lack the wisdom, by the way, the wisdom that they had boasted that they had had earlier, but lacking the wisdom and the desire to solve their own problems in-house, and instead of going to pagan courts to solve the problems for them. Beloved, God has given us these government institutions and he's given us these things to help us now let me just say this that governments and laws and judges and lawyers and preacher even preachers right all we're not exempt from sin and we're seeing this in Canada as a pastor is being put into prison because of the conviction to worship we're seeing our own American government, though, though our, our system is based on Judeo-Christian values, biblical values and principles, we see that worldly philosophy is beginning to, to, to move us away from those things and sin is playing a part in what, we're, in, in what we're seeing before our very eyes. Now, the difference between Corinth, though, and maybe America, is that it was not based upon biblical principles and Judeo-Christian Christian values, but it was saturated in worldly philosophies. And so the judgments that were being handed down below were not, were not judgments that were based upon Scripture, upon the will of God, the way of God. And so many of the Corinthian church members had brought their problem, they had aired out their dirty laundry in a court system saturated with sinful worldly philosophies. And this text is not condemning the, the courts. Again, it is a condemnation of the church, of the Christians, who were so envious, so critical, and unforgiving of each other that they would go to the lost world, to the, to the godless court system that they had there in Corinth to handle and find solutions to their problems rather than going to the Lord himself. Do not dismiss this text, though. Because here's what can happen with you and I very quickly this morning is that you'll say, well, I've never sued anyone. I, I, I've never planned on suing anyone. I've never been sued. I've, I've never had to go in the court. You know, and if I did, it was like a friendly lawsuit. It wasn't anything major. You, you say, well, so I don't have to worry about this. We, you know, this doesn't happen in our church. We've never had anybody in a church maybe sue someone. So, so we can just go, you know what? This text is not for us. But, beloved, be very careful with that. There is a principle and a truth here that God has for us. And so instead, you must evaluate yourself this morning and what God is trying to show, that we may avoid the sin that Paul is exposing here. So what is is really going on? What is the problem now? What is the problem? Well, verse one says, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? That's strong language. In other words, how dare you Take your fellow Christian brother to court before the lost world. How dare you allow your sin and your disputes and your, and your fighting and your problems reach such a point that you have to go to a godless system to find a solution between two Christian brothers or sisters How dare you do this, he says. For centuries, the Jews settled all of their disputes, either privately or in the synagogue court. This is how God always wanted his people to handle their problems. And we see this being set up there in Exodus chapter 18 with the father-in-law of Moses, Jethro, who is setting this system up within, within the people of Israel there, within God's people, to deal with their problems. And so we see that even after Israel is under the thumb of Rome, Rome allows them to handle all of their problems up until the point that they want to have someone killed, which is where we see Jesus being brought before, being, being brought before the, 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 the Roman leadership there but everything else was handled inside they would never air out their dirty laundry before a pagan court system why because to do so would imply that God was not competent to lead them to a solution to their problem yet that was not the case with the Christi- with Christians in Corinth Instead, said they brought their problems to the courts they brought their brothers the ones that they had covenanted with the ones that that they had agreed to love in spite of things though the ones that they had they had come and agreed and covenanted with that I am here with you in your in your darkest hour beloved I'm gonna meet with you on a weekly basis and worship you that there's they're bringing the ones to court that they have the strongest bond not the bond of blood but the bond of the Spirit for the Spirit is inside of me and you but but apparently there's a problem that is so great that we cannot deal with well this is what was happening And so what we see is, is that lawsuits here were were beginning to take place. But notice verse 5. For Paul says, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not one among you, or not among you, one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? The problem is, again, it's really kind of a carrying over from chapter 5. Church discipline or the lack of church discipline, the lack of intervention. For whatever reason, church members were not intervening in the disputes. And so here's what's going on. Brother Trey and Brother Brian are, are duking it out in the office. We got problems. There's tension. You can feel it, right? You feel it. Not I mean, not, this is hypothetical. I'm making this up. We're not mad at one another. But, but if that was the case, you feel it. And you go, man, somebody really needs to intervene on those guys they don't like each other and you just go it ain't gonna be me somebody else do it and that somebody else says the same thing and that continues and it continues until one day it just blows up it may be in the middle of the worship service ruining the worship, of it but worst of all it ruins a friendship and a partnership in ministry Beloved, the lawsuits were the fruit of the problem. They were not the root. The root was envy, anger, coveting. I think we see this in verse 10, and we'll get to that in a moment. But part of the problem also was that there was no intervention on behalf of the church body to help out in these matters. Look at verse 6 and 7. It gets worse. But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers, actually then it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. This is the reason for Paul's anger. He is saying to the church, your sinfulness is being showcased before a lost and dying world. You are airing your fights and your disputes and your sinfulness before a lost and dying world. And so instead of seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ that can lead them to salvation instead, they're seeing your sin Two Christians from the same church fighting against one another in a court is a defeat for the church. Beloved, do you hear what he is saying? If our problems consist to the very point that I must take you to church, and I cannot find a solution between you and me or you and whoever or within the church, if we can't find a solution to the problem and we have to go to the court, Paul is saying here, you are defeated. And let me say this, beloved, and, and I will, and I will, will just kind of expand this a little bit. Understand the principle and the concept. It's not the court that's the issue. It is the fact that you are airing out your sinfulness before a lost and dying world. You can do that on Facebook. You can do, you can do that at the convenience store drinking coffee and talking with, one, with, with a whole bunch of people. Let me tell you what happened in the business meeting. Man, so-and-so made me mad. You can do that on Facebook. You can get on social media. And you can go at one another. And we think it's all right that in social media, we can just begin to let the world see this tension and these disputes and these infightings and these wrongdoing. And Paul says, no. He says, that is a defeat for you. Why? Because you are defeating the very core values of your church. Notice we see this in the text, that Paul is saying, your witness is being defeated. What is one of our core values as a church but the gospel witness of Jesus Christ? That the lost world is watching us behave behave in a certain way. They're listening to our message. And so we are to be telling them of the Great Commission. That we are are to be behaving in a way that portrays that Christ has reconciled me and redeemed me. But all they're seeing is the same sinfulness of the world within the church. And so they view God's word as being less wise, having no power. And the gospel witness, beloved, is defeated. And you know this, you know this, you have heard it from the mouths of individuals that you have invited to come to this very church and they themselves had said, why would I go there? There's nothing but hypocrites. And they point to the fact of those who were fighting in the church, those who, those who hated each other within the church. And it defeats the very value that we have as a church of gospel witness. It also defeats church investment. Remember, one of the very core values is that we are investing in, into one another. So I'm investing into you. You're in, investing into me. Randy is investing in Brother Bill. Brother Bill is investing in Randy. And so therefore, if, if something begins to rise up within them, that begins to break the unity it's hurting the unity it's hurting the investment of the of the church but not only you say we say well it's just them yeah but you know that you can't hear the story of what happened that led to their anger that led to their resentment and you not pick a side yourself and so that's one of the things beloved that we need to repent of ourselves is that we are very quick to pick a side but not very quick to intervene and begin to help So we defeat church investment in the unity of the church. Not only that, beloved, we don't really see it here in the text, but we see it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 26, where Jesus himself said that if you have a problem with your brother, don't, he says, do not go to the Lord's table until you've dealt with it. So not only are we defeating our witness, not only defeating our investment, our unity, but we're also defeating our worship. Because I cannot have God-honoring worship when I come to the Lord's table and I am angry and bitter at the person that's sitting in front of me. I cannot have God-honoring worship, love when I'm bringing my brothers before the court, when I'm putting my brother's sin on Facebook and social media, when I'm going out to all the world and I am telling them how me and so-and-so are fighting and I'm right and they're wrong and, and, and I, you know what? I'm never going to forgive him. We cannot have God-honoring worship. And you know this, and when the church begins to see the infighting between brother and brother, even if you don't pick a side, you feel it. You feel the tension between the two. And it distracts from the worship of the Lord on Sunday mornings. And so the problem, again, is not the courts, beloved. The problem was the damage the church members' sin was doing to their witness doing to their unity, doing to their worship. And so hear me this morning, you and I must repent. We must repent and reconcile when we are fighting with one another within the church. We don't get to say that's just so-and-so and time will heal. Paul is saying you must deal with it and you must repent. And you know what? Someone may be wrong. So and so may, there's an individual, he may be an established member, she may be an established member who gives lots of money to the church and they're the one who has done the wrong. And Paul says, it doesn't matter, you got to deal with this issue, practice church discipline and have them repent and be restored in their fellowship with one another. And yet many times within the church, we ignore that and we let those things go on. And even to this day, and I hear it, You bring up things that happened years ago. You may not be resentful. You may not be hurt. But you were then and you bring it up. And it's like, you know, I can worship with that person. But I'm never going to forget this. I'm never going to forget what so-and-so did to me. I'm never going to forget how so-and-so voted in that business meeting, right? beloved? that's what Paul's talking about you must seek to reconcile and if so publicly even repent if it was a public sin publicly repent so that the power and the grace of god not only reconcile you but restore you and your relationship with one another and that we are not being defeated in these areas but also beloved, even if we have to do it publicly we do so that the lost world may see not the sinfulness Not the anger, not not the defeat, but the victory of the church. This is the difference between you and me. Or the difference between us, you, me, and us, we, than the lost world, than the politicians. They fight. They yell, they scream, they argue. But they never reconcile. We can fight. We can have problems. We we may even scream at one another. But at the end of the day, beloved, the power of the gospel brings us together, and we are able to be reconciled. That's the difference of the church. It's not that we never sin. It's not that we never fight. It's not that we never have problems. But the difference between us in this place with this faith family is is that we can have victory, or the lost world cannot. So notice Paul's response, and it's a two-fold response. i will be very quick here. Notice that he gives two things. Number one, he exposes, and then secondly, he reminds. So, so look there again in verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Now look at verse 5. He says, "I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not one among you wise who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brother goes to law with his brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually, then is already feed for you, for uh, that you have lawsuits with one another." So notice what Paul is doing here. Paul is exposing their sin. Paul is Paul's doing exactly what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 18, where he tells him to go to his brother and show him his sin. So, what is the sin? What is taking place here? The lack of love. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, he says, he says, he says By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. He says, Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who. Listen to this nor the one who does, not, who does not love his brother. For this is the message which we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the evil one who slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Beloved, if, if inside of me is the desire to crush you, if, if the desire within us is to win the fight, And to crush you and humiliate you, to take you to court that it may be proven that you did me wrong. Where is the love in that? That was the way of Cain to be so angry to slay your brother. And it is the way of Cain within the church when I want to slay you publicly, when I want to defame you on Facebook, to hurt you, to, to gossip about you in the, in the public places because you messed up, you did something wrong to me. And Paul says, he exposes, and he says, that is a lack of love. You are to be characterized by love. And so we see this in the church, beloved, many a times where it may be love between spouses where there's no love. Where, where one spouse is being extremely critical, extremely judgmental, treating the other spouse in a way that is unloving. Or even to Children. When we see this when members are still harboring ill feelings about past issues and members keep bringing up what another member did or maybe maybe new members are not really brought into the, the covenant community. The, those who have been established and been here longer kind still kind of hold them at bay even though they repented of their sins, even though they've been baptized into the faith family. We, 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 we love you just not as much as we love those that we've been with for many more, for, for many years. Not forgiving not, and harboring resentment because, we're, because we've been wronged. And Paul says, why not be wronged? These are the sins, beloved, that Paul is saying that you and I should expose within the church. That when we're not loving one another, we're not characterized by love for each other. But notice, secondly, that Paul is also reminding them of their life in Christ. We see this in the text where Paul is asking these rhetorical questions, questions that they already know the answer to or questions that they've already or they've claimed to know the answer to. And yet they're not living according to the knowledge. And so very quickly, three things that I want you to see that he is reminding them of, of their life in Christ. Number one, he is reminding them of the principle of greater to lesser Look at verse 2. He says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not uh, competent to uh, to, to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? Here, Paul is reminding the believers that because we are in Christ, Bella, we are one day going to rule and reign with Christ and have moments of judgment. We're going to be able to judge the world angels. Now, there's a lot of opinions on that and a lot of interpretation there, different interpretations. I'm going to keep it just simple. Revelations chapter 2, verse 26, 27. He says, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father and so in other words whatever whatever your view your end times view millennial kingdom whatever when new heaven new earth here's the deal is that we who are in Christ are going to receive an authority to rule an authority to make judgments. And Jesus is saying to you and he's saying to me, if you have that, if you are in me and you ha- you're in Christ and you have that, then why do you, who will one day r- judge the lost world, go and submit yourself to be judged by the lost world? No. No. Christians do not place themselves under the judgment of the world in this way. Now certainly this is not a, a case to disobey laws or anything, but, but when we're having to seek the lost world to find answers for us, beloved, he says, you are the greater. The greater does not go to the lesser to find answers. And so Paul says, no. He says, you need to be reminded of, of the authority and the, uh, that you've been given by Christ. But not only that, the competence. Look at verse 5. Is it so that there is not one among you wise? One among, not, not among you. I'm having a hard time with that verse. Are y'all telling that? <laughs> is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? In every church. In every faith family there is someone that God has given us who is wise enough to help us deal with our problems before we ever have to take them outside the church Paul is saying that really and we know James chapter 1 verse 5 if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to you beloved even if there's not a wise one we can even ask God to make us wise And so Paul says, there's wisdom within your church. Use those in your church to settle disputes. And not only that, thirdly, we see their salvation. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, Neither, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. He is reminding them of their salvation and their new life in Christ. You see, in verse 10, he gives those really bad sins. You see, the sins that you and I would point to and go, oh yeah, the, those people are going to hell. Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're gonna be left out of the kingdom. You know, we, 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 we see those sins, the, the, the sin of fornication, adultery, you know, the, the issue of the effeminate, idolaters, all that. But I think what Paul was doing was, was he was like giving those really bad sins, but then in verse 10, Paul was actually giving them the very sins that were leading them to court. Thieves, coveting, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. And Paul is saying, beloved, he said, you do realize that this lifestyle is the lifestyle and and these sins are the sins of those who have not been redeemed. And when you allow your resentment and your fights to reach such love that you would treat one another in these ways, You're acting just like the other ones. You're acting like the lost world. But notice what he said. He says, But such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In other words, the gospel changed you. You see, beloved, the answer to our sins before our salvation and the answer to our sins after our salvation is always going to be the same. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one who gave his life for me, the one who lived the perfect life and went to the cross and died on the hill of Calvary to rise three days later, who brings salvation to my soul below, is also the very one who washes me, sanctifies me, and justifies me, who grows me, being able to, to live differently than what I used to live like, to live differently than the rest of the world. And that's your answer, by the way. That's your answer. The gospel of Jesus is your answer in what your sins are dealing with. And so if if you're dealing with some sins or if you're lost this morning, know that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves you. And I call upon you to believe in that gospel. I call upon you to believe in God. But here's the beauty of this gospel, and here's the beauty of chapter 6. What is the problem? The problem is is that there were people who were supposed to be brothers in the faith and loving, but they had become enemies with one another, And and they're fighting to the point. They say, we can never reconcile. Really? The gospel is the story that we, the great enemy of God, Everybody wants to point to the devil that he's the word, but beloved, God's wrath is on you and me as well. It is on humanity because we are the enemies of God. And it would be easy for someone to say, man, when we look at our sin and we look at God who is righteous and holy, and we would say, There is no way that those sinful people, those sinful humans, you can it's almost like you'd imagine an angel saying, Man, there's no way that God can ever reconcile himself with those people because there's sinful and they're evil man look at their sins and God says watch me he sends his son to die for us that he may what that he may reconcile his enemies into himself and he can do that for you and for me here within the church and that becomes the solution that becomes the very solution look at verse 5 he says it is so is it so that there is not one not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren in other words we at times will, because of our sin we are in need of people to intercede on our behalf with the gospel to intercede on our behalf with the gospel for, for, for a man or a woman, you know, to, to step in and say, "Brother, you, brothers, sisters, look what you're doing to one another. This is, this is not the life that you have committed to. This is not the life you have proclaimed that you are living. Intercession is not just prayer. Yes, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for those people who are fighting. I'm praying for our church in times of turmoil. But it's not just prayer. It is actually jumping into the fray and working it out it's church discipline it's exposing the sin and reminding us of the power of the gospel in our life in Jesus Christ and so we see here that Paul is suggesting Paul is saying is there not someone who can intercede you have to go before the lost world you got to go air your your dirty laundry before the lost world you got to hate your brother publicly Well, beloved, if there is any kind of fighting between fellow believers in our church, hear me this morning. We need to deal with it. If there's any kind of resentment and unforgiveness for wrongs in the past, we need to deal with it. And here's the thing. You may need a mediator. You may need someone to stand in the gap, an intercessor, to to come and join you in the middle to deal with those things that you may find forgiveness and reconciliation. You may find peace that that repentance and forgiveness bring. Can, Can I say something to my deacons this morning? This is your job, deacons. You want to know what your job is? You are a peacemaker. You, you are a shock absorber. We see this within the book of Acts. We see this with deacons. Your job is to help keep peace. So when things become, begin to get rocky and the boat begins to shake and it looks like it's all going to go down and it's like fighting is going to take place, it is the job of our deacons, according to Scripture, to help intercede on behalf and find peace within the church. It's a tough job it's a hard job and so therefore you must serve one another and you must you must build relationships with one another and love one another that you may be able to speak openly and and honestly with one another deacons that you may be able to be a man you must go to the Word of God and and, and seek the Word and seek the the Spirit and seek the Lord in prayer that you may be a wise man that when these things come that you are helping give wise decisions To help bring reconciliation, beloved. Church, pray for your deacons. This is a responsibility that has been placed upon them. But also knows that Paul says it in verse 7. Why not rather be wronged and why not rather be defrauded? Now immediately we want to go, "Uh uh-uh. My rights. I got rights. Don't you trample on my rights. Paul is saying that it, just like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that it is better that if one slaps you on one side of the face, to turn and give the other. He's saying it's better to to be wronged than to defeat one's witness, one's unity, and one's worship. It's better to have your feelings hurt, rather to lose financially, or even have your rights ignored, than it is to take your fellow brother and sister to court, for you to defeat the love that is to be between brother and brother, sister and sister. Our primary concern in this world, beloved, is not to protect my, our possessions or our rights. It's not to get even with those who hurt us or do us wrong. Our primary concern in this world, beloved, is the worship of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. Again, there's going to be times you'll go to court. There are wrongs. There are things that happen that need to be taken. There are gre- there, There's uh, terrifying, horrifying things that have been murder, sexual assault, those things go to court. Yes, we, th- those are the breaking of the law. Yes, we're not talking about those things. We're talking about these petty disputes in the church, these petty disputes that happen between brothers and sisters that breed resentment and anger. And as I said, you must remember that Jesus himself was wronged. Even the Apostle Paul, as as Randy read earlier, used his right as a Roman citizen. But even at the end of the day, Paul is beheaded. But Jesus was wronged. Jesus suffered the greatest injustice and was killed. That you may be forgiven, that you may be reconciled to Christ. That our crime against God, beloved, can be washed away. That is far greater than your sin or someone's sin against you. So when you can forgive those who hurt you, when you, can, when you can accept the wrong and you can accept the hurt, that, that, that forgiveness and reconciliation can take place, that, that Christ's witness is not defeated, and that the unity of the church is not defeated, and that the worship of the church is not defeated. When, you, beloved, when you're able to, to do that, you are publicly portraying a love that this world will never understand and will never know but through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back to the lyrics that Melanie sang earlier. Did you, did you hear them? The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect only one. You crushed your son. You drank the bitter cup that was reserved for me. Your blood washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy but now I'm seated at your table Jesus thank you by your perfect sacrifice I have been brought near your enemy you've made me your friend pouring out the riches of our glories glorious grace your mercy and your kindness know no end Because your blood has washed away my sin. Love, do you see the beauty in the gospel of Jesus Christ that takes those who are at odds with God and brings them to the table? That is the very thing that we have here within the church. So why do we go public? Why do we go seeking a judgment from them? When the answer and the solution is always here. Our faith is in heaven's courtroom that took enemies like us and brought them to the table of Christ. So beloved, if God can reconcile you to himself, he can reconcile you to your brothers and sisters today. He can help you forget the wrongs that were done years ago. He can can make it so that those that you would never bring to your house and let them eat at your table, that you could bring them in tomorrow, today, and have lunch with them. For that is the power of the gospel of Christ. So therefore, FBC, hear me this morning. Let us protect our witness and our unity and our worship let us love one another by forgiving one another, seeking wise counsel and judgment from within the church, and let us remember that God has given all that we need, has given us all that we need through His Word, His prayer, through prayer, and also by the Spirit, that we may portray the power of the gospel to not only reconcile mankind to Himself, but He may show the power to reconcile us to each other. Let's pray.